I'm not pulling my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work at home edition. So on a lot of these home ones, I like to do interviews. So I have Ben Whites with me from the play design team. Hey, Ben. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Okay, so today's topic, um, there, there's something that I, I don't think players really understand well that I wanted to talk about, which is I talk a lot about very early in the process and how we change cards. And we radically change cards early in the process because it's very early on and we'll throw whole things out. Um, but I want to talk about the end of the process where you and the play design team are, are the most involved, which is, okay, you're actually in play design. You know, you're, te- you're actually testing what we call the Future Future League. You're actually, like, literally having play tests with cards. What actually changes during this last final part of the making of Magic? And I want to talk today about sort of what play design changes to cards mean. Yeah, and... Uh... You know, those changes can be very different from the ones you have early on in the process, like you're saying. Um, I think in general, we have a few different categories of changes we like to make. So the first is like the most obvious one where play design, you know, are one of our like mandates or one of the things that we we own is the is the balance. Right. Um, so like exact like how strong are these cards? Um, you know, we want to shoot for like a particular band of power levels. Uh so that, you know, we, we don't, it's not an exact science. We Cards go out the building and we don't know exactly how strong they are because if we did, the game would be too simple, right? Like if this room of five people can accurately figure out all the parallels of all the cards, then the, you know, millions of people who play Magic the Gathering are going to figure it all out, like lickety split. So we, we work with a lot of uncertainty. Um, and uh, so we're, we, we've got this like particular band of power that we're aiming at. And so one of the main ways that we change cards is that, you know, we look at them and we play with them and we think to ourselves like, oh, like this card could be a little bit stronger or, oh, this card is like too strong. It's ending the game too quickly or it's drawing too many cards or whatever. And so we'll change. Uh, usually these are like numbers changes. We'll change the numbers on the cards in order to make them um, more appropriate or to fall closer to that power band um and just to clarify when you say number changes walk through that's not just the mana cost although it could include the mana cost uh yeah so the mana value is like the the hammer or like the that's like the biggest change that we can make to a card um there's all sorts of numbers on the cards right we we call them knobs um sometimes it's you know the number of cards you draw from a draw spell sometimes it's the power and toughness of a creature sometimes it's how many cards you look at when you scry um, all these sorts of things are knobs that we change a lot. Um, and when you change the mana value of a card, for us, that's like a huge change. Because that like changes the turn that you play the card on, basically, um, which really matters for shaping the way that the games are played. Um, so for us, when we change the mana value of a card, we will always look for compensating we will almost always look for compensating changes. So like if we push the mana value of a card up, we will often then be like, okay, well, how much power and toughness should it have now? Maybe it should get an extra power. Maybe it should get an extra toughness. Maybe it should get both. Something like that. Um, or like maybe an ability that was originally conditional now like becomes an enters the battlefield ability or something like that. Um, because when we change that mana value, that's just like such a, such a large change. And just um, something I wanted to throw out there for the audience. I talk a lot, um, one of our jobs in the beginning part of the process is help you guys at the end part of the process. And so the more knobs we put on cards, we build into mechanics, the more 
sort of numbers that we built into it, the more flexibility you guys have downstream. Yeah, I mean, that's often a double-edged sword, right? Because um, there's always a trade-off involved. And the more knobs there are, the more complexity there is. Uh, you know, some cards have a ton of knobs, but are appropriately, you know, but it, but in compensation for that, they do like four different things or whatever. And that can be, it's not always a good thing to build in more knobs. I think some of the best work y'all do is finding like low complexity places to put knobs in. Yeah. Um, so like kicker, for example, like, you know, adding an, any kicker could have been, oh, you always pay two or whatever. And it would have been a simpler mechanic, but it would have been less interesting and there would have been less ability to balance it. So adding those costs there is, is super helpful for, for late stage changes, late stage number changes. And kicker is nice also because it's a one-time decision where an activation is every turn, you know, so there, yep. there are knobs that matter at different points and, and the, the more often you have to refer to them, the more complicated it gets. Yep, absolutely. But yeah, we have a lot of like internal heuristics for like, okay, approximately how much power and toughness should cards have at each mana value in each color and like approximately, you know, what sort of cards should go at each mana value. Um, and, you know, we follow those heuristics, but they, you know, often they are heuristics and it's important to know when to break them and when to follow them. Um, it's really... It's really, yeah, balancing is very difficult. There's a lot of nuance involved for every change, and it's a lot more art than it is science, I would say. But the numbers changes, honestly, are probably the easiest ones that we do. They're, like, often pretty straightforward, and it's just about finding the right slice. Like, uh, Andrew often likes, Andrew Brown uh, often likes to say that, you know, cards that are just a pile of numbers are the easy cards for play design. Okay, so that's category one. What's the next category? Yeah, I would say, so the next category is we will look at packages of cards and we need to make sure that those packages of cards work well together. Uh, so, you know, every set has a bunch of content in it and a lot of the times sets will say like, oh, you know, we want, we have a theme about the graveyard, you know, so we want you to play the graveyard cards together. And a lot of play design is managing those slots that we so we we sort of inherit this from set design where this is this is a thing that set design works on making sure that there's enough enablers and enough payoffs for the graveyard but when we get to play design we sort of do a lot more focused play testing and we really figure out the like fine-tuned details on that sort of thing so like making sure that the mana values of the different cards form a curve is important because if every single card in the package costs two mana then your deck is just a pile of two mana cards and it's way less interesting than if there's more varied mana costs so maybe you have like a really powerful payoff at five mana and like more of your enablers fall at two and three mana um and stuff like that so a lot of play design is saying like okay like this package of cards we want it to look roughly like this and then we need each card in its mana value to be strong enough or whatever. So that's like another reason why our, when we change mana value, it's like a big hammer because often it makes cards conflict with other cards. So then we have to move other stuff around and it, it can be a lot more complicated. That's the way that the cards are most, most correlated, I guess. Um, but yeah, these different packages, it's very similar work for both constructed and limited. You know, in limited, we try to make sure that there's a good spread of commons, a good spread of enablers and payoffs, and there's powerful uncommons for every strategy. 
for constructed, it's honestly very much the same. Uh, we just try to make sure that there's enough stuff that works with the cards. So I guess a good recent example would be Godric Cloaked Reveler, which is a card from Wilds of Eldraine, which is a 3-3 haste for three mana. And then it has the celebration ability. So if two non-lands have entered the battlefield under your control this turn, it becomes a 4-4 flying dragon. Um, and that is a, it's a really cool card, but it, it's heavily dependent on other cards, right? Because the celebration ability is something that needs other cards to work. So part of our job is just making sure that there's enough other cards at other mana costs that are going to work with Godric in order for it to be uh, successful in standard, for example. So, uh, you know, making sure there are cards like Kumano faces Kakazan. You know, if, if any of you have played Mono Red on the Arena Ladder recently, you've probably run into the combination of those two cards where Kumano flips on the very turn that you cast Godric and the cards work really well together. So a lot of play design is finding... Like, those cards are from two different sets, but a lot of play design is finding the card, making sure that the cards work well together as a package uh, in order for them to succeed. And how often is the package within the set, and how often do you think the package is between two cards from different sets for Constructed? We, yeah, we prioritize within the set, though we just understand that Magic is a huge game. We make a lot of Magic cards. Um, you know, different formats that people play with have a lot of different cards from a lot of eras of magic so we sort of expect there to be random cards that work with uh the cards we make sometimes that like more powerfully than we expect them to um and sometimes uh you know we can lean on those if we identify them but we prefer to work within the set itself because that's sort of the context that we have and we like to make sure because that at least guarantees that there's some amount of support. Like, there's probably support in Older Magic, but this way we it guarantees that the cards work together, and also it's better for the, you know, the more casual player who, you know, maybe that person doesn't open up a lot of Neo Booster Packs because they only started playing recently, and so if they just open Wilds of Eldraine Packs, making sure that there are cards that uh, work well together within the set is a lot more important. Yeah, one of the things I like to remind people is that a lot of our limited playtesting is also for casual constructed playtesting, meaning there are a lot of players who are a little bit less enfranchised, right? They just play with what they open, and by making sure that the set sort of plays well in limited, it plays well for that player usually. Honestly, Mark, I think the same is true for a lot of the standard constructed that the FFL team does. Like, we work a lot more in the regime of, okay, like, you have as many rares as you want to build your deck. How do you build your deck? But, I mean, the simple truth is the the formats are so large, like, we can't predict everything. We don't know all of the interactions that are going to happen. We simply can't um, look at every combination of cards. So, like, a lot of what we do is, like, localized within, like, a set and the, like, two sets surrounding it, basically. Um, and that, I think, is a pretty... Is, is a pretty uh, close simulation of what some of the more casual constructed decks are going to end up looking like. Like, we play a lot of uncommons in our deck um, from the same sets. And, yeah, I just think, you know, as Standard has gotten bigger, as Pioneer gets more popular, we it, it becomes harder and harder to identify all of the things that are going to be for sure strong in those in those formats. So I think a lot of what we do is sort of more indicative of casual constructed as well. Yeah, one of the things that's interesting is uh, 
So Richard Garfield, his uh, when he was a math teacher, he did combinatorics, which talks about mm. sort of, and it's really interesting when you get into the math of like, it doesn't take a lot of sets before the combination of cards hits giant numbers. And I believe like all of magic, like 30 years of magic, there's like more combinations and there are like planets in the entire like galaxy. You know, you know, it's just such a giant oh, there's number. Way. If you're talking about the number of, I mean, you're talking to a mathematician oh, right okay, now. Okay. So if, if you're talking about just, you know, like the number of different 60 card decks there are, yeah, there's way, 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 way more than that. Well, so. yeah, the, I think they told us, we, we looked into this at one point for like an ad for Magic Online, and there were more combinations of 60 card decks at the time than atoms in the universe, at least what they told us. Oh, yeah. By, by a lot, probably. Yeah. So. Yeah, the, it, yeah, it's exponential growth. And even if you're only considering like pairwise card interactions, yeah. it's still quadratic and like it, yeah it's really it's really tough to try to look at every pair of cards together and, and and that's why by the way a lot of the focus for play design is on smaller formats like standard because something like legacy it's a hopeless task i mean it's oh yeah yeah I mean, that's what we ban. We ban in Legacy because it's, it's <laughs> there's no way to like anticipate the interaction of 27,000 cards yeah okay so that's number two what is the next category yeah, so the next category is, I would say, I would call it maybe hole filling to some extent. So play design will just redesign cards sometimes because sometimes we decide, look, this card isn't working. It's either too complicated to play with or like not very fun or we need some sort of effect like the environment needs something in order to be a more fun environment like maybe we need a storm hate card or maybe we need to be able to interact with enchantments better or something like that um and so what we'll do is we'll just if there, if there's that card that's being unfun we'll just delete it basically or if um you know, we have a hole that we need, we'll ask the set lead to, you know, pick their least favorite card or whatever and delete that card um, in order to make room for the hole. Uh, but yeah, we will we will design a lot of cards from scratch, actually. Um, Play design does a fair amount of that. Uh, and most of the time it's for to fill a very specific purpose relating to do with playing the game. So I think for set design or for earlier design, my understanding is when y'all design cards, it's for a lot more like, oh, we want to experience the world this way, or you want it um, to hit these particular story notes or like character beats and stuff like that. Uh, for us, it's very much more like a mechanical, like we need a three mana card that kills an enchantment. Or, you know, we need this strategy is under supported and we need to uh, it needs like another slot in order for it to be a successful theme. And so, you know, we need very specifically a card to support this this theme. Yeah, I think, um, I think the interesting thing is like the earlier you go in design, kind of the more open ended we want it to be. We want to make th things that all sorts of things you can, you know, like it's very open ended and you do lots of things. And as you get farther on, right, it gets much narrower. We need this card to do this very exact thing. Yeah. Uh, and so that that often comes up where you just, yeah, the, the set team wanted to push this theme, but they didn't allocate enough rare slots for it. And so we're just like, look, we need another rare. We needed to do this. We'll just design the card from scratch. So how often are you just... 
How often do you say, hey, looking at the environment, there's this other deck that could use something and this set could offer something for that? Like, how often are you looking outside of the set for stuff that goes in the set? Yeah, I think that's mostly up to the set leads. Like, they will look for opportunities like that. I think uh, for play designers, it's on more of like an individual person basis. Like, I will occasionally just message set leads, especially of the un of the upcoming set. If I'm like trying to build a deck for FFL and I'm like, dang, I really wish that I had like another three mana dinosaur or something like that, then I might message a set lead and just be like, hey, FFL could really use a three mana dinosaur if you find space for it in your set. And that's just something that happens more organically, I think. Um, or like some set leads like really prefer to will will like specifically design some rares to try to tie into some previous set themes and that's just like a choice that they made uh as part of trying to build their set um but i wouldn't say play dot play design like as an institution does that very much okay um okay so you change numbers you look at packets of cards you make holes to fill sort of needs what else yeah, I've got I've got probably one last category, which is we will make play pattern changes on cards. So this these are changes that are often not relating to like the raw strength of a card, but rather I played with this card, it was unsatisfying to play with for like some reason, and I would like to make it more fun to play with. Can you give an example? Yeah, so like Putting Vigilance on a card that wants to get into combat, but also has a tap ability, for example. Mm. Um, you know, maybe it maybe it grow may, maybe it grows somehow, and so you want it to to fight. You want it to attack with it because it gets kind of big, but it also has this ability that you want to use every turn. We will like put it. That's a good candidate for gaining Vigilance, so you get to have your ice cream and eat it too. Sometimes have your cake and eat it too, I suppose. Yeah. Um, another example. <laughs> <laughs> another example might be like trigger timings, where it's just like, oh, this card, you know, triggers at the end step, but it's kind of hard to remember and confusing why it triggers at the end step. So we'll try to make a trigger on the upkeep instead, um, or we'll play against a card and it just like sits in play, threatening to kill your opponent's creatures, and we can just be like, well, that this just like isn't fun. It has too much power in like like stalling the board and just killing creatures, and we need it to have power elsewhere. Like the card itself might not be too strong, but the things it's strong at cause like unfun game states to happen. And like when that happens, we need to change some stuff on the card. Maybe push it in a different direction, allocate some power somewhere else, or you know sometimes just kill flat out kill the card. Yeah, I think there's a a misconception that play design, I mean, obviously play design does care about balance for sure, but a lot of your job is also just like, are things playing as fun as they could play? That I, I, I don't, I think people very much think of play design as being like balance focused and don't realize that like you guys are the end of the process. You are putting the final touches on things and like, Hey, are the cards playing as well as they can play? Can we change them to play better? Yeah, my my main thing I say when people ask what I do is, uh, or what play design does is, I say we try to make the fun cards strong, and we might try to make the strong cards fun. So, 
you know, we, we care a lot about making sure that cards that are fun to play with will also show up a lot because people like playing strong cards. That's just what they do. You know, people respond to incentives and they'll try to win the game. And no matter how strong you like, people will play the strong cards no matter what. So we have to make sure that those cards are fun because otherwise the game is not going to be very fun because people will play the strong cards and then no one will have any fun. Yeah, yeah, I, you hit upon one of my uh, 20 lessons from my speech at uh, um, the GDC a couple years back was talking about how players will do what they what helps them win. And it's our job to make sure that that's fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, people have different definitions of fun. One one thing that I try to do is, like, there's a lot of people that, in, that really enjoy certain strategies that are maybe, like, not fun for the general populace, but are fun for, like, those specific types of players. Um, and we try to make those cards, like strong enough that you can play them, but not strong enough that they're the best thing to do, which is kind of a harder power bend to hit for sure. Mm -hmm. But that way, the person who enjoys that experience can can build that deck and bring it to FNM or play against their friends and um, you know get that experience for themselves 100% of the time because they're always playing that deck. But everybody else, because the deck is not that strong, it's like a fringe deck, they only have to play against it you know 2% of the time or whatever. So they they get to have most of their fun as well. And so that asymmetry can help us a lot. Um, yeah, you try to make, you hit upon something that I think is important, which is there are, okay. Obviously there are players that are the, the best players, you know, the, the pro players and the people that are going to optimize everything and play the absolute best possible deck. But that's not the majority of players that, Hey, you want to make sure that people who go to their F and M and are, are playing decks that are good enough. They're having fun. You know, like, you guys are designing for all different skill levels, not just for the absolute top skill level. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, if you look at the Lost Caverns of Ixalan, uh, you know, the, the there's a bunch of dinosaurs. Uh, we tried to make a dinosaur aggro deck or like kind of a dinosaur mid-rangey aggressive deck uh, package work. And, you know, it's not the flat-out strongest deck. Like, people don't play it in, like, high-level tournaments or anything like that. But we know it's very popular on Arena. A lot of people play it on Arena. And that's great. Like, that strategy exists. And, like, it's definitely a huge win if people can enjoy that strategy, even if they're not at, like, the very top levels of play or whatever. And dinosaurs, you know, are very beloved by a lot of people. Um, and I'm, yeah, I just think we we will very, very frequently make decks for the whole spectrum of you know, from casual constructed to full-on tournament uh, shark. Yeah, that, here's an important thing to understand. A, a, a psychology thing to me is very fascinating is when you play a game, you prioritize what you want to prioritize. Um, and different players will prioritize different things. Some players, for example, will like, I want to win. That's the most important thing. I will do whatever it takes to win. But that is a, one mindset. That There's a lot of players that are not at all like that. A, a lot of players are like, I want to do the funnest thing that I can win enough, you know, that I can, I can, I, I can go and I do, I do well enough that I feel like, Hey, I get to play the way I want to play. And that is a, that's a, actually a, a larger swath of players that I will do whatever it mm. takes to win. And yeah, I, for sure. And those, those players exist in all the different magic play formats. They exist in standard and modern and commander and, and pioneer and like, yeah, 
And I think a lot of that is, right, are there themes in the set that we can make good enough, that we can hit a certain threshold, so the person that just wants to do that can do that and be happy? Mm-hmm. Like I, yep, that's, ba- that's basically our goal, is to make sure that the cards are for someone um, and make sure that the people who you know like those kinds of cards can enjoy playing them. Yeah, I... A lot of the reason I wanted to do the podcast today is I think there's a lot of just sort of stereotypes and stuff and that um, competitive magic. I mean, there is there we, we have pro tours and I mean, there are things in magic that push at the absolute like I'll do whatever it takes to win. But that's that's not the the, the majority of magic play. It's much more of, hey, I want to win. Winning's important, but I want to win my way. I want to win in a way that means something to me. And I. I always talk about how design for magic is tricky because, hey, so many different people want so many different things. And I think play design, that's the same challenge, which is there's a lot of different players that want to play in a lot of different ways, and you guys have to balance for all of them. Yep. Yep. And that's hard. I I, I, I have great respect for you guys because that is so outside of my wheelhouse. So um, that yeah, is... I yeah. I mostly think our job is literally impossible and we just do as best we can until the deadline runs out and then we ship the set. (laughs) We just do that. You know, we could spend a literally infinite amount of time improving the set, but, you know, we gotta, we gotta make more magic cards. So we only have a finite amount of time to do it. Yeah. And you talked about this point earlier, but I really want to hammer this home. There is a, there are a million magic players and in the first five minutes of the set being released, they're going to play infinitely more magic than the playtesters during every playtest we do for for the entire run of making the set. Like, there's so many players, they're going to capture what we do instant. So, making something that is beyond what we know, but what we sort of are hope like, it's a very delicate thing to build something in which we're making something that is not solvable by us, but we believe will be somewhat solvable by the larger group it boggles my mind that seems so hard to me yeah the the play design team functions in a very probabilistic space like we are very uncertain about everything we believe and it's important to recognize how uncertain we are and you know attach like confidence intervals to like different things we believe where it's like do you think this card is strong enough well it's like well i think it's like probably strong enough and I, i think it's like you know i'm like 80% 80% sure someone will enjoy playing it. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, we don't use hard numbers or anything like that, but like a lot of our communications are the way we think about cards is very much in a probabilistic way where it's like, okay, we think, you know, half of these, of this pool of cards, we think half of them will be strong enough to play in this standard deck or whatever. And we don't know which half that's going to be. Uh, but we think it's going to be about half. Yeah, it's interesting. You guys, t- like, you talk a lot in percentages. You know what I'm saying? Like, here's the percentage chance we think that maybe this, you know, and it, it is very, like, the world I work in is, is much more, like, it's much more absolute. Like, I'm just trying to find things that are fun, and, you know, uh, early design is a lot more about just finding pockets of cool things. Um, but downstream, you guys are trying to, like... Th- trying to finalize things and put them in a state that, look, you know, we're going to try to get as close as we can, knowing that it's it's an unknown is 
anyway, it's, I'm fascinated by it just because I, I have no idea. It's so outside of my, my wheelhouse. Yeah, and I, I want to stress, like, you know, we don't actually, the, per, the, the, like, actual number of percentage is not, like, something that we... It's an estimation. It's think not, about, it's not, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just an estimation. It's a framework for yeah. conveying how confident we are about certain things. And there's certain things that we know that we shouldn't be confident about. And then there's other things that, you know, the more you play with a card, the more confident you get. But you can never be 100% certain and stuff like that. And the other thing to remember is it only takes, like, missing one combination to completely miss large swaths of the metagame. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, a lot of times, for example, it's like, oh, this new card with this old card that's still in standard is the powerhouse thing that people start building decks around, and maybe you guys just didn't catch that because there's so many different combinations of things. Yep. I mean, there's no way we ever could, and there's no way we ever will ever try. Yeah. So... Um, but anyway, so, I mean, I hope today's a little bit of insight to the audience in that on some level, this is, this is a dauntless task you guys have, you know, make something that you don't have the certainty of to try to get the best you can. Um, but I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed how well you guys do. I, 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 you know, it, it is, it is, uh, it is very impressive to me to watch you guys work and then see the sets come out and, you know, how often you guys hit is very, very impressive to me. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, one of the other things, that hopefully, the reason I, I like doing interviews with other people is there's so many different parts of making magic. Uh, what you do day in, day out is a really different reality than what I do day in, day out, and we, we make the same game, but it's just such different facets of the product. Yeah, it's wild. You could You could probably spend, you know, 20 years going up and down the whole funnel and you yeah. probably still wouldn't learn everything there is to learn about making magic cards. Or you could spend 28 years just doing one part. <laughs> well. <laughs> um, but anyway, thanks, Ben. I mean, the, 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 hope this, I hope the audience is very eye-opening and just hear the kind of stuff we do. And, and um, I, I know when a set comes out, it's so easy for the Like, once you see something, once someone proves something or someone makes a deck, like, once the combination is found... Yeah, it's very easy to see it. And I, there definitely is this belief, like, how do they not see this? But it is it is such a daunting task. Um, and on top of all of that, by the way, the, the other factor that people don't think about is, while you guys are doing all your work, things keep changing. Like, it's not even like... The audience plays with constants, right? The cards are printed. They're never changing. These are what the cards do. You guys are doing all the work you're doing, and cards keep changing while you're doing them. Yeah, the the the... Dance between the play design team and the casual play design team has been a very interesting one that we've sort of had to learn over the last few years. Because, yeah. you know, previously it used to be that play design is the per the team that owned the end of the funnel and, like, we would always make the last changes. Now there's, uh, you know, multiple teams that are sort of owning that part of the funnel. And, yeah, it's just interesting to... We like we like go into negotiations with them sometimes. Like, ah, we would need this card to be stronger, and they're like, we need this card to be weaker. And it's like interesting to find like we have to find a way to make the card stronger for us that doesn't impact them as much, and they will make the card weaker in the ways that matters for them. And it's just it's actually very interesting. Yeah, no, 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 it is it is fascinating. So I want to thank you, Ben, for being here today. This was great. I, I love talking with you. Yep, yep, it was great. Uh, and so to everybody else. Um, well, I've reached I've reached uh, 
my desk, I guess. So this is the end of my drive to work. Uh, so instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So uh, thank you, Ben, for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, see you later, everybody. And I'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.